welcome, welcome, Skillman Church of Christ listeners to another podcast. And this is a special podcast because we are beginning a new series. Uh, this is John Mark Davidson, uh, lead preaching minister at the Skillman Church of Christ. And this has been something that's been on my heart for some time now. And uh, I've talked to Jake about it, you know, the, the staff about doing this podcast and specifically uh, talking about the Church of Christ and uh, what it means to be a part of a Church of Christ and some of the challenges and questions that are uh, needed to be asked uh, with the Church of Christ in the year 2021. So for this uh, very first episode, I needed a, a guest that would bring some credibility to, this, credibility to this new series, someone who would draw in the listeners. So I called up someone who's very dear to me, who has uh, knowledge in this area, who's taught me a lot about this particular topic, and that is my own dad, Kelly Davidson. Uh, dad, I don't know if I'm going to refer to you as Kelly Davidson or dad, but uh, first of all, uh, how are you doing today? Uh, what's the weather like in College Station? And, and uh, tell the listeners out there uh, how you're doing. Well, John Mark, I know your listeners are probably a little disappointed right now. Uh, I am a little bit uh, embarrassed to be on your podcast. Uh, I know that you're a little biased, but I'm doing really well, and I'm privileged really to be able to speak. In College Station, the weather right now is overcast, a little bit of mist. Uh, we've had uh, an unusual month of weather, just like in Dallas, uh, but we're doing really well right now, looking forward to trees blossoming and flowers starting to come up. I saw my first blue bonnets just the other, just yesterday. So that's, that's good. That's beautiful. Well, I really wanted to have you as my first guest, number one, because uh, you do add credibility. Uh, you're a well-known, uh, uh, a lot of people have such deep respect for you as a person, but also a minister. Um, you uh, have extensive experience in ministry, uh, both international, but also uh, here in the United States. Um, in college, you, you also right now are doing a lot of preaching there at the AM Church of Christ. And with this particular series on the Church of Christ, I thought you'd be an, a fantastic person to begin this series. And uh, so just a word for the listeners out there, I'm not quite sure how long this series will be. It's open-ended. Uh, this is episode one. I'm not quite sure how many episodes we'll end up with. But uh, throughout this series, I, I hope to, to speak with a whole, a, a whole array of people uh, about the Church of Christ, about the, its past, but also its, its present and its future. Uh, I'd like to uh, talk about the history of the Church of Christ. And I think during those episodes, uh, we'll bring in specific historians that will be able to speak with uh, authority, really, on uh, the historical uh, stories that accompany the Church of Christ. I also uh, know that you know a lot of my experience with Churches of Christ, they come uh, from the, uh, the umbrella of predominantly white Churches of Christ. And I'd like to in invite uh, some of our brothers and sisters who uh, grew up in predominantly black Churches of Christ to hear also their perspective and learn from their stories involving the Church of Christ. I also like to bring in um, women, uh, females who have been, who've grown up or who are serving in ministry and hear their stories. And um, really the purpose is twofold. I, I want to honor our past. I want to celebrate kind of our heritage in a lot of ways, uh, but also I want to ask some tough questions about where we are today. Some of the challenges that face the church of Christ, but also the church universal. 
uh, which kind of brings me to the first question. I know, um, Dad, that uh, you know, there's two ways to spell the Church of Christ. There's the Church of Christ where the C and that first letter is lowercase. But then there's the, the Church of Christ where the C on that first word of, of uh, church is capitalized. And, uh, you know, for the listeners out there who are not real familiar with the difference, uh, how would you characterize the difference in usage of uh, those two words, the Church of Christ, little c, and the Church of Christ, big c? Well, the, the Church of Christ, big c, would be, I think, just referring to a specific congregation as opposed to the Church of Christ with the small c, which would include all churches that honor Christ. I think that the big C would probably be more of a, a sectarian type of approach, whereas the big C would be more of a universal and, and uh, widely uh, recognized church of Christ. Like in the scripture where it says the churches of Christ greet you mm-hmm. in the book of Romans, he's talking about not just one or not just one group, not just the churches of Christ in Corinth or Rome or whatever, but the churches of Christ uh, in many other places as well. So that would be the, the um, differentiation that I would make. I'm not an English major and I'm certainly not any one that would, uh, would cons- I wouldn't consider myself an expert at all, but that's a difficult well, question that you've asked me right here to start off with. Yeah. Sorry for that. Uh, you know, we talked, uh, uh, had a list of questions that wasn't one of them, but, uh, this one, uh, but I, what I heard you say, I think I agree with, you know, I agree with what you're saying, uh, that the, using the, the church of Christ with a little C, it speaks to the church as, as Christ church, you know, every Christian that's out there, it's not limited to a name on a building or, you know, it involves, you know, every single disciple of Jesus. It's a, you know, as the Catholics on the sense of Catholic meaning universal united, I think, you know, that could be, um, very similar in usage, but the, with a big C, it comes from a specific movement that began in the United States in uh, the, the 19th century. And it's part of what's called the restoration movement. And so typically, if you see a church with uh, the name Church of Christ behind it, usually it's the street name before it. So, you know, in our case, we are the Skillman Church of Christ. I know the church that you work in, what, what's, uh, it's the A&M Church of Christ, because at one point when it first started, it was connected to the university, Texas A&M. Uh, and I think those of us that grew in churches, typically, uh, they have the name of the street and then the Church of Christ name after with a capital C. And uh, like you said, it comes from a specific uh, lineage, uh, a specific movement that began in the 19th century here in the United States called the restoration movement. And so uh, for the listeners out there, dad, um, and again, you're very humble. And I I know that uh, you've mentioned you're not a historian, you're not a grammar grammar teacher, but I I do give you some authority because of your movement, growing up in in this movement. uh, And just out of curiosity, within our family, how many generations back would you say have been involved in uh, the Church of Christ under the umbrella of the restoration movement? I'm pretty sure that my granddad's, I'm so, yes, my dad's granddad was a part of Churches of Christ. And I don't know if we can go back further than that. But I know that my grandmother's uh, father was 
part of Churches of Christ. So we have uh, several generations within our family. I mean, maybe even uh, when it first started, I mean, that's a lot of generations. That goes back way, way back. If you're talking about your dad's granddad, that's your great-grandfather, which would be my great-great-grandfather. But uh, for the listeners out there uh, who are unfamiliar with the restoration movement, in general, uh, you know, Churches of Christ uh, with, with the capital C in the beginning, uh, what's a brief kind of a general overview of what is the restoration movement? Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that you're going to actually try to get some historians to come and to share because there's so much that we can learn by looking at the past. And I think that it's important for us to always keep our eyes on the past as we move forward so that we can continue to learn and adapt and to grow. So, so I'm looking forward to hearing some of the historians that you're going to be able to bring on to this podcast to tell stories about how did we come together as a movement? And so what I'm going to share is just basically some of my experiences, some of the things I've read, some of the things that I've learned. And I realize that others are going to bring different perceptions, different experiences. And so hopefully as you listen to all of these different podcast sessions, that you'll be able to to gain a much fuller understanding of what the restoration really is. Some people call the restoration movement the Stone Campbell movement because there were two really important figures that contributed to this, uh, Barton W. Stone and then uh, the Campbells, Thomas Campbell and his son Alexander. And most historians that I've read tend to say that the Stone Campbell movement started during the Second Great Awakening revival in the United States. And that would be somewhere uh, that around 1790 all the way up to 1840. So it would be post, uh, post-revolutionary war, but before the Civil War. Mm. And, and it, really, it really began, and something that I'm proud about with the Restoration Movement is that it began as a unity movement. Mm. And what happened is, as America began to grow and began to offer religious freedom and opportunity for for Christians, for others as well, to come to a, a new land, there were people that arrived in the United States with many different faiths. And so there were Presbyterians, there were Methodists, there were Baptists, there were Anabaptists, there were many different faith groups that came. And uh, Campbell and Stone, they began to see how, how, it would be wonderful if all of these Christians could come together. Now I've kind of mused about this some, and I'm not a historian, so I haven't done much research on this, but I have read some papers that have indicated this, but I just personally, I wonder how much this new phenomenon of the United States of America forming the, the, Mm. the 13 colonies that came together and they were um, they were able to unite on a document, the U.S. United States Constitution. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking that there had to have been this excitement, this fervor. Never before had all these separate yes. entities and people groups come together and laid down their their own identity for the sake of a greater identity, and that is the identity of 
this nation, this new nation that was called the United States of America. So if you think back that the Constitution was, you know, came into play around 1776 or so when the United States came together, if, uh, mm-hmm. if the revival, the Second Great Awakening revival was in the 1790s, this would only be about 20 years later. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering how much the contribution of this, this conversation that's going on about people coming together and uniting uh, really played a role in, in this movement to unite Christians together. So yes. uh, I think it is that Stone and, and Campbell both came from Presbyterian backgrounds and they, they just wanted to have a, 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 a spirit of unity mm-hmm. and just take the simple teachings of the New Testament and unite on that. And instead of being Methodist Christians or Baptist Christians or Presbyterian Christians, just to be Christians. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from what I understand, uh, Stone was more emphasis, emphasized um, the spirit of unity, the, the blessing of unity. And Campbell tended to approach it more like a scientist. What would be the forms? What would be the structures? What would be the methods of uh, bringing people together? How would, they, how would they do church? How would they unite? What would it look like? Wow. And so in 1824, these two groups, the um, Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone actually met. And so it was at that time that, that the Stone Campbell movement really began to become known as a, as a unified movement. And then around 1906, the Stone Campbell movement are divided and the churches of Christ began to be recognized as a separate entity in the 1906 census. And so that's kind of where, where we are right now. That is fascinating. I, I love how you begin telling the story about, about the restoration movement. I love how you brought out that it, it, it's a unity movement, that it began as an ecumenical, basically a non-denominational unity movement. Um, you know, I think uh, growing up, I used to hear uh, you use the phrase referring to the beginnings of this movement, saying that uh, we aren't the only Christians, but we are Christians only. I think it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful beginning to a movement where you have, you know, these allegiances to the creeds and to uh, different names on church buildings and, and uh, a group of people during this era who were reinvigorated by the U.S. independence and this American experiment of the Constitution and rallying around a document. And they said, why? Why don't we do this? We have the scriptures. We have what Jesus taught. What if we speak only where scripture speaks? What if we're silent where the, the Bible is silent? What if on the essentials we choose unity, but in the non-essentials we choose liberty, but in all things, what if we choose love? And so I love I love that you began, uh, and it's a beautiful beginning to the story. When you s- see a church with the name Church of Christ on the outside, it's, it's kind of cool to, re, to remember that a long time ago it began as a unity, non-denominational, ecumenical movement. And uh, the second thing I, I wanted to uh, point out was, was, too, that you mentioned that 1906, there was a little bit of, a, I guess, a differing of opinion uh, of, the two, two, uh, of the churches and, and uh, of those that were in the Restoration Movement. And this is post-Civil War. 
It's a different country by this time, ravaged by a, a terrible, a terrible war. Uh, but out of this restoration movement, what churches exist today that come from the restoration movement? Well, I, I think that, of course, our particular branch would be Churches of Christ. And you would also have uh, churches that are part of a group called Disciples of Christ. And then you could also have groups that would be, uh, they would refer to themselves as, as uh, Christian. So First Christian Church or Second Christian Church might be one that you would, you would see in a particular town. So I think all of these movements at one time were united. And then in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there began to be some friction post-Civil War and it became official in 1906 when we were our own identity in Churches of Christ in the United States Census. Wow. Uh, well, stay tuned, listeners, because we're going to bring in a uh, Church of Christ historian in the following episodes to really dive deep into what happened, not only at the very beginning of the movement, but also in the 1906, what led to this division. But I, th I think it's beautiful what you pointed out, Dad. Number one, the Churches of Christ began as a unity movement, and two, that we have cousins out there. There's some cousins. We have the Christian Church. We have the Disciples of Christ Church. That we all we come from the same uh, movement that began um, in the uh, late 18th, early 19th century here in the United States. And and uh, you know, from your point of view, Dad, as someone who grew up in the Churches of Christ, uh, who has family in the Churches of Christ, uh, someone who's worked, uh, your career has been in the Churches of Christ, um, what are some things that you really love about this movement and about being a part of the Church of Christ? Yeah, one of the things that I would put on the top of my list would be the emphasis on Scripture that we find in Churches of Christ, where there is a strong, a strong emphasis to put Scripture over tradition. And uh, I remember growing up and, and being in Bible class and I would have, uh, of course I grew up on, I grew up on the mission field. And so my, my Bible class teachers in many cases, when I was younger, were other missionaries that would come in and take turns teaching us as we were all the missionary kids that were in these church, in these Bible classes. But I can remember over and over and over again, they would, they would have us look up scriptures in, in our own Bibles. And then they would say, and here's, here's something that we love about our church. If you find something in your scriptures that we're not doing, we want to change and we want to do that. And if you find something that we're doing, that's not in the scriptures, then we want to know about it. I want you all. And he was speaking to all the students. I want all of you to be studying the scriptures so that you can help us as we become the church of Christ. And, and so I just, I was really excited about that, and, and that's part of my DNA, and I've, I've really loved studying Scripture uh, since then. I, I love the fact that each congregation is autonomous and that uh, they have their own leadership, and they're not tied to a, a regional office or a national office where someone else a long ways away from where you are in your particular town or your particular city they're, they're making decisions on how you do things. I, I love it that that we are autonomous and so and and clarify that a little bit that, more. That makes me feel good. Yeah, clarify that a little bit more because I think uh, you know those that are not a part of this are familiar. What? How are decisions made? And 
I guess there are some churches out there that they, it's almost like uh, there's a main office in, in different city and what they do, what they preach, the decisions they make within the, that local body is uh, dependent upon this office uh, in a different city. But when you say autonomous, what does that mean? Uh, who are the leaders? How are decisions made? And, and uh, how does that compare to other churches? Yeah, and I, I've never been in a elders meeting or in a church meeting at Skillman, but I can tell you what we do is that we, uh, we meet and we talk about how our church can, can grow, how our church can be more alive, what we can, what we need to do. How can we, uh, how can we do a better job of living out the kingdom of God in our community? And so we make those decisions here locally in our particular church fellowship and we don't depend on someone else in Dallas, for instance, or mm. in St. Louis or someone else where there's a board of directors that tell different, uh, a network of churches on what they need to believe and what they need to do and what they can't do, what they have to do. And so I really love the autonomous nature of our churches uh, many community churches that are that exist today are like that as well yeah but uh, we're not really part of a denomination that has a denominational headquarters that tells all the churches in that denomination of what they what they have to do or what they need to believe that's an important that, that's a very important point that you bring out and i think that's really important for our listeners to understand is that when you walk into a building with a church of christ on the sign it's not all going to be the same. Uh, like it, it really, it, it depends on the local leadership that makes that decision uh, because every church is autonomous. So, uh, you know, there are some churches where you walk in and uh, depending on the name on the front, whether you're in LA or whether you're in New York or in Dallas, it's going to be the same text for the sermon. It's going to be, you know, the same uh, policies as far as that's concerned, uh, or even look, the, the feel will be the same. The architecture will be the same. But that's one thing uh, that you bring up that I think is very interesting that for people to know is that Churches of Christ, um, if you have the name on the outside, it doesn't, they're not all the same. <laughs> there is differences uh, on how, how it's worship's done, how preaching, how it looks, uh, the architecture, uh, every church is autonomous. And I think that's, that's very interesting, especially in light of uh, knowing what it is, because uh, what happened, like you said, you know, I don't know what happens at Skillman, but here at the AM Church, um, you know, we we do that. And I think it's a, again, I think it's a, a good thing. I'm glad you put that under your category of things you love. When I was doing my PhD studies at Pepperdine on leadership, they were talking about how the leader in today's world needs to maneuver their organizations a lot like someone who's white water rafting, uh, just because there is just constant changes and there's you have to be agile and fluid. And I think in the world that we're in today, this is an advantage uh, to have that agility for the leaders to be able to make decisions that affect, that are impacted on a local level. And can, there can be agility and, and there can be decisions made right on the spot. It's not always the case sometimes uh, because of other factors, uh, you know, decisions can take a long time. But in, in principle, this idea of autonomy, is it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, yeah, and and this is also something that you see in the New Testament, and I think Thomas Campbell, as he began this new movement, really was touched and 
and impressed by the fact that the church in Jerusalem was different than the church in Corinth or Rome. And the church in Jerusalem had different needs than the church in Ephesus did. And so when Paul set up different churches, he made each church autonomous. And Thomas and Alexander Campbell really, I think, wanted that to be part of this new movement that they were uh, starting here in the United States. Wow. Is there anything else on your list of, of things that you love? Yeah, I love the inclusion, uh, the the way that uh, adult immersion for believers, I, I think that that's meaningful. It's, it's part of the scriptures. And, and I love the weekly taking of the Lord's Supper. I love the intense fellowship that we have as believers. I think that churches of Christ have learned how to do fellowship really well, mm. especially fellowships that involve food. Ooh. We seem to really have that down. Speaking I of- love, I mean, Church of Christ potlucks. I don't oh. know that you could ever beat those. Oh, and I know, yeah. that's, I know that's not very spiritual, but I do think that food <laughs> brings people together. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, many of the community churches that I'm familiar with now that uh, have really grown in the past 20 to 25 years, particularly in Texas or in the Bible Belt, many of these community churches are doing the same thing as well. They're, they're emphasizing adult baptism. They're, they're wanting to include the taking of the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis, and they're trying to emphasize fellowship more and more in, in small groups and making sure that people are connected. And so uh, I feel like what, what we've been experiencing for a long time is now being recognized as something that's uh, important for churches uh, today. And, and that makes me feel good as well. That's good. That's really good. And I'd love to use this time as well to, to draw on your expertise and your experience to talk about some of the challenges the, the present challenges, but also the future challenges of this restoration movement and as someone who is a part of a church of Christ. Uh, and uh, you, uh, of course, you mentioned in, in earlier that you have spent significant time within uh, the churches of Christ, growing up in the churches of Christ, but also you served as a missionary in the country of Thailand for 18 years and then Upon returning back to the United States, you served as a campus minister with the Aggies for Christ uh, for another, was that 20 years? I can't remember how long you were there, man. How long? About 20 years. 20 years. Man, you looked way too young to be in ministry that long. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now you serve uh, at the AM Church with, a, of course, uh, in, in a lot of different ways. You preach uh, on occasion, you also serve as, you know, work, working on the team there, that's there, the amazing team that's at that church. But looking at the world that we live in today, 2021, and with your experience within the Churches of Christ, what would you say are the challenges that we face? Skillman listeners, I hate to do this to you, but we are going to end this week's episode on a cliffhanger. But please tune in next week to hear part two of this interview with Kelly Davidson and listen in on this discussion about some of the current challenges that are facing the Church of Christ of the Restoration Movement today. But also uh, hear a conversation about some glimmers of hope uh, for the future. And if you like what you're hearing and if you're interested in this discussion, please uh, click the subscribe button 
and uh, that will allow you to stay with us throughout this series. But until then, uh, God bless you all. Peace and love, my sisters and brothers. Thank you.